0: When trouble comes your way, can you be thankful for what God allows? The Old Testament Saint Job lost his children and his earthly possessions, then he even faced a decline in health, yet he maintained his integrity and was still able to give thanks and praise to God, as we'll see today on Encounter God's Truth. Welcome back, I'm your host Wayne Shepherd. Today, Dr. John Whitcomb is going to take us to Job chapter 2 as we continue a special series called Thankful in Spite of Trouble, which we are engaged in during this Thanksgiving month. We'll see how Job responded to the incredible challenges he faced. We hope this will encourage you, regardless of the difficulties in your own situation. Now, here's Dr. Whitcomb to continue our series, Thankful in Spite of Trouble.
1: Friends, we have seen at the end of Job chapter 1 the enormous catastrophes that he endured. And was still thankful to God. He said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all this Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Now someone has said it this way, friends. Such so called mishaps are not a problem for the polytheist or a dualist or an atheist or a naturalist or a materialist or an agnostic. A tragedy perhaps, but not a problem. Only with the moral monotheism of the Bible is it a problem. Job's faith does not relieve the agony. It causes it because Job loved his God. Pagans don't love their gods. Job loved his God. He he knew that his God only does what's right and what is ultimately a blessing. So he just launches into this darkness with confidence and hope and even praise to God. He said, the Lord gave. Thank you, Lord, for all you've given me. And the Lord has taken away. Thank you, Lord, I didn't deserve it anyway. And therefore, what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, the the book of Ecclesiastes, friends, full of wisdom too, uh, puts it like this. Chapter 5, verse 13. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment, as he came naked from his mother's womb, So will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. And this is also a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage of him who toils for the wind? You know, from outward circumstances, dear friends, nothing can be more futile than life on this earth when everything we bring into the world, which is nothing, is left and nothing is taken away into the life to come. So I say, Lord, help me, like Job, to say, thank you, God. You had a plan. You had a purpose. You never make mistakes. I can't see very well in this darkness, in this gloom, in this tragedy, but help me to trust you and to love you. And that, of course, was a terrifying blow to Satan, wasn't it? Can we say it that way? Satan said, he'll curse you to your face if you just take away his things, his property, even his children. By the way, we wonder... What was his wife doing through all this? Listen carefully now to Job chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God, remember those are angels, righteous angels, evil, fallen angels, namely demons. Friends, if we're horrified at the things that God allowed Satan to do to Job in chapter 1 of that amazing book, how amazed we'll be when we look at chapter 2. I'm sure that Satan must have been shocked to see how Job responded to his God-permitted afflictions, his horrible losses. And he came out saying, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why Why didn't Satan say, Lord, I, I was wrong. You're right. I repent. Because he is incorrigible. His depravity will never, ever change. Isn't that amazing discovery from the word of God from Genesis to Revelation? And so we read in chapter 2 of Job, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. Now, remember, sons of God in the Bible, in Hebrew, b'nei Elohim, means what? Angels, whether righteous or evil. They were directly created by God. They had no mothers or fathers. You In that sense, they are sons of God. Now, is this amazing? There was a day when they came to present themselves before the Lord. Is that still happening today are there certain days every day that satan comes that'll continue remember until the middle of the 70th week of daniel according to revelation 12 when he'll finally finally be cast out of the third heaven by michael and his angels may that day come soon now friends what happened when he came back to the lord the lord said to satan where have you come from now you understand of course friends this is on a human level a rhetorical. Of course, God knew where he had come from. God knew everything. But this is an opportunity, you see, for Satan to divulge his true motives, his true heart, his true attitude. Where have you come from? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. Isn't that amazing? He's the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. And I say, Lord, that's still true. That is still true today, friends. He roams around the earth seeking whom he may devour. You remember The Apostle Peter tells us that, doesn't he? And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Did you really see how he responded? Did you hear what he said to me? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Were you listening, Satan? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity. Now listen to this. Although you, Satan, incited me, God, against him, Job, to ruin him without cause. And note this, God makes it clear. He, not just Satan, he's the one who did it. And of course, we'll see in verse 5, put forth your hand and touch his bone and flesh for he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said, you, do, you go ahead and do it. A very fascinating interaction between God and Satan, isn't it? Ultimately, friends, God does everything. We know that, don't we, from Scripture. And we can't blame him. No, no. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things he has revealed and are for us and our children forever. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, Isaiah 55. And I say, Lord, help me to be very careful here in this little insight into how God deals with Satan and demons. Job chapter 2, verse 4, friends. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. In other words, no matter what happens to his property, what happens to his children, just so it doesn't touch me. I don't care that much about anybody else except me. What an insight that is into Satan himself, friends, the way he feels. He doesn't care what happens to anybody except what happens to himself. Of course, he didn't really care about his servants, or even his children. Just himself, a totally selfish man. Oh, my. Now, verse 5. However, put forth thy hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Oh, really? Does Satan know that much about people, about you, friend, about me? Only God knows our inner heart, doesn't he? And I say, Lord, I am sh- absolutely shocked and horrified that that kind of an angel rules the world today. And Adam and Eve and all of us, of course, have turned the world over to Satan. We know that. We have turned each one to his own way. And God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Our iniquity, our sin, our choices brought Satan into the world and keeps him where he is. Now, friends, aren't you shocked again? Verse 6, the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power, your power, your hand. With one limitation, spare his life. Spare his life. Now, that, of course, is the introduction to the amazing things that are revealed in the last half of Job chapter 2. I say, Lord, help me now to be very careful how I handle this. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. No delay, no hesitation. Immediately, he hit Job with all he could possibly bring upon him, short of death. And smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. My, some kind of what, leprosy or elephantiasis or, and by the way, this went on for months as we read in Job chapter 7, verse 3, months of agony, of suffering, of pain. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. There he was in a city dump outside the city in a place of disgrace. And we we know about that, as we shall see in chapter 30. He was even in a lower level socially, physically, than cavemen. Amazing, isn't it, in chapter 30. So uh, we're not surprised. We're sadly disappointed, but not too surprised, are we, about his wife's reaction to all this. His wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? That's God's evaluation of you. Your integrity, curse God and die. That's Satan desire, isn't it? Satan, listen to this, friends, used his own wife to provoke him to sin. How awful. We just wonder, by the way, I often wonder, don't you whatever happened to her? Did she die? Was it a second wife that God gave him at the end of the book by whom through whom he had ten more children? We'll have to save that question, do we go to heaven? Whatever happened to her, we trust she repented of this kind of statement. Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. You understand foolish in the Old Testament is worth a worse idea than just being stupid. It means being evil. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. I wonder, don't you, what kind of a relationship his wife had to God. We know he prayed for his children. Did he ever pray for her? What was her spiritual status? We don't know, friends. We don't know. Uh, You are speaking as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Amazing. Amazing. This is a faith, friends, that transforms everything it touches into gold. Easier to lower our concept of God than to raise our faith to such heights as this. A price to be paid for this kind of faith. And Satan saw that he paid the price, didn't he? Isn't it amazing what God permits from time to time for his servants to endure? And I say, Lord, whatever happens to me, I can never say I don't deserve it. Whatever you bring into my life, whether you Satan or not, is not the point. Everything's under your control. Everything. You remember, even the Apostle Paul said, Satan hindered me doing this or that, and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, or rulers of the darkness of this age. Ephesians chapter 6, if we only could see what's going on around us, even for a moment, we would depend upon God's mercy more than ever before. Oh Lord, help me, help me. Well, if he thought he had problems, he's going to have some more now. Really? What more can he have? his children all dead, his property all gone, his health all gone, his wife provoking him to curse God. But wait till you hear this one. Chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, they came each one from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Naamathite, and they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. Later on in chapter 32, we'll see that there's another friend, a younger one, named Elihu. But uh, these men came from different countries, probably north of Arabia and Mesopotamia there. This suggests, doesn't it, friends, that Job was internationally known. He had a wide, wide acquaintance in that part of the world. And the word got around as to what happened to this famous, outstanding, godly, wealthy, powerful man. So now, what we've seen in these first couple chapters, it moves rapidly from one step to the next, to the next, to the next, is going to slow down in these dialogues that go on for chapters and chapters as he discusses what God did to him, what his friends thought God did to him, and why. And this goes on for presumably for, for many weeks, many weeks. We don't know how long this took. But when they approached him, I, I assume, and I can't prove this, friends that they were believers. Uh, they talked a lot about God. They didn't talk to God like Job did. That may be a little hint that they had some very serious theological problems. Uh, I'm just uh, just uh, guessing here. They were, in their heart of hearts, they were true believers, but they were not well taught. They were not mature in their theology, and that's true for so many of us, isn't it, friends? Being born again doesn't mean you know everything about God and his word. No. What did they do? They came to do what? To comfort him. Oh, how shocked they were when they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him. There he was sitting in an ash heap with boils all over his body. They they couldn't even recognize him. They raised their voices and wept and wept. And each of them tore his robe. That is, of course, a typical ancient Near Eastern outward visual aid for inner turmoil, tear your robe and each of them tore his robe and threw dust over their heads toward the sky. And the best thing they did is what? Remain silent. Sometimes friend, when we visited a loved one, a friend, a neighbor in a hospital, and find that person in great pain, the last thing they need is a lot of talking to listen to. How about just hold the hand and in silence offer a prayer. They know you're there. They can feel your presence. They appreciate your concern. But not so much talking, sometimes that is worse, you see by far than not going at all. So what did they do? They sat down on the ground with him for seven days, and seven nights with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw that his pain was very great. Here these three friends are. May I sit this way friends they here they are at their best, at their best, just silently assuring him of their loving concern. And I say now, Lord, that, that's a wonderful introduction to the chapters that follow, the dialogues of Job. 17 speeches, 9 by Job, 3 by Eliphaz, 3 by Bildad, 2 by Zophar, plus, of course, 4 from Elihu and speeches from God himself we know. And I say, Lord, what an amazing book this is to tell us things we otherwise would never know about one of the greatest men who ever lived. And friends, let's be very careful about the life of Job and how his life ended as we apply his case to our situation today. There are millions of Christians around the world, we know that, who are suffering terribly for their faith, terribly. My afflictions have been extremely minor, but they've been also in the providence of God. Uh, I, I saw my first wife die left me with four children. I myself almost died in the Battle of the Bulge in Belgium in December '44. It was a close call. God got my attention. I almost died in France about 25 years ago from blood clots and in a hospital for 17 days. God spared my life from that embolism. But friends, every little thing that afflicts us, that hurts us, that frustrates us is in the plan of God. You remember Romans 8. Listen to this. The Spirit of God helps our weakness. We do not know even how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. day, perhaps he'll show us what he's had to put up with in our feeble responses to bad circumstances of life and that we weren't thankful enough in everything. And he who searches the hearts knows what's the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now here's one of my favorite verses in yours. Listen. And we know, we're not just guessing, Paul said, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8:28. Say that again? We know, we're not guessing, that God causes all things to do what? To work. To work how? Together. For what? For good. For whom? For those who love God, who are called according to... Friend, do you know the Lord? Don't ever say in your afflictions in your sorrows, that you can't believe that God is good, God is gracious, God is loving. He is doing a perfect work in each of our lives, just as he did in the life of Job. So the first book God ever wrote in the Bible, the book of Job, is God's way of answering this frustrating question that millions of people, I'm sure, have asked. Why, why, oh God, have you done that to me and to my family, to my friends? And God says, in effect, sit down, dear child, let's talk. We're not going to talk about what you deserved. Oh, I I, I never want that, friends. I never want what I deserve. I want the grace and mercy of God. And in spite of, in the midst of circumstances that are frustrating, even frightening, tragic, I say, Lord, help me to be thankful that you're doing things well. Because what? Paul said, we're not guessing. We know that God causes all things, sicknesses, tragedies, yes, to work. There's a plan. There's a program going on around here. Someday God, doubtless, will show us some of what he's been doing. It'll work together. There's a un- there's- nothing is clashing. The-, the-, the wheels are not clashing with each other in God's providence. Everything is working beautifully according to the plan. And you remember the Old Testament visual aid of that, don't you, in Ezekiel 1, those wheels with eyes all over them, going in, in-, in different directions simultaneously. In other words, God is omniscient, He knows what he's doing. He has eyes all over this world and on his people especially. And these wheels are are God's omnipresence. He's everywhere at the same time. He's not missing. Friends, he's there. He's watching. He's helping. And I say thank you, God, for that wonderful reminder that you do all things well. Things that coordinate, cooperate, work together for good to those who love God. My question, friend, is do I really love God? Am I really thankful for him, for what he's doing and what he's going to do and what he's promised and provided for? Do you know him? Do you love him from the depth of your heart, the God of grace and mercy who came all the way to this planet 2,000 years ago to die on a cross for your sins and mine and to rise from the dead? Thank you. Thank you, God, for all you've done and who you are. Thank you, God. And so, friends, during this Thanksgiving season, Let us learn, perhaps as never before, how to thank God for what He allows to take place in our lives. He makes no mistakes. He'll someday show us. Can we trust Him? In Jesus' name, that's my prayer, and for His glory. Amen.
0: That was Dr. John Whitcomb delivering the second part in a special series for the Thanksgiving season called Thankful in Spite of Trouble. It illustrates the command of the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and this weekly outreach of Whitcomb Ministries, Incorporated, comes to you through the generosity of our broadcast partners via radio and the Internet. To contact us, visit whitcombministries.org or sermonaudio.com forward slash whitcomb. Well, each week here on Encounter God's Truth, we ask a question of our speaker, and Dr. Whitcomb, someone has again sent us this very insightful question that I'd like to pass on to you. Job 2 verse 8 says that Job was sitting among the ashes. Do you think it's likely that Job was driven from his home to the edge of the city because of a skin disease and forced to live like a leper? Can you explain more about that? Wayne,
1: it is absolutely shocking to read what Job experienced, isn't it? Yes, he was not only out there in an ash heap, in a dump, but listen to what he says in chapter 30. Job chapter 30 says, Now those younger than I mock me. That was unthinkable in the ancient years to mock an older person. Well, who were these younger people that were doing that? They were the children of cavemen, as he goes on to describe, people who were driven from the community, shouting against them as a thief. So they dwell in what? Dreadful valleys and holes of the earth and the rocks. That is Job chapter 30, friends, verse number 6. You say, cavemen, where did they come from? They certainly didn't evolve from animals, friends. No, no. They were driven out from the community, as Job explained. Weaker people. They were pushed out, and they had no place to live, like Job, except in what? Caves, holes of the ground, and the rocks. Now, friends, at the end of the world, Isaiah says everybody will be a caveman. Did you know that? Isaiah chapter 2 says someday men will cast away to the moles and to the bats. Those are cave animals. They're idols of silver and gold that they made for themselves to worship. In order to go into what? The caverns of the rocks and clefts of the cliffs before the terror of the Lord. That's Revelation chapter 6. The whole world will be terrified at the presence and the power and the judgments of God. And ask for the mountains and rocks to cover them and hide them in the depths of the earth. But even more amazing, some of the greatest people who have ever lived were cavemen. You knew that, didn't you? David, the king, was really at his best when he was a caveman. Two of the Psalms were written from a cave. Psalm 57, Psalm 142, when he was hiding from Saul, who was out to kill him. And that is when he depended more upon the Lord than he ever did in the luxury of his palace later on. And, and of course, we do, we do know this, dear friends. The greatest caveman who ever walked this earth, I hesitate to say this, careful now, was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You say, really? Well, listen to what he said. He said, the foxes have holes, they've got caves. The birds have nests, but what? The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. My. And I, I say, Lord, I can't even imagine this, that the human race, especially the people of Israel, would treat the Messiah like that. He had one home, the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus that welcomed him. But you know, Hebrews 11 says that these men of whom the world was not worthy were doing what? Hebrews 11:38. Listen, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. All of these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Watch the whole mentality today about cavemen, friends. They were not some semi-humans. No, among the greatest cavemen who ever lived were, were what, Job, David, and listen to this, the Lord Jesus. And I say, Lord, I'm amazed at what you've done what you've allowed to happen, what you've permitted to happen to your servants in this world because of their testimony for you.
0: Yes, thank the Lord God for His daily grace and mercy. I hope you'll join us throughout this week at sermonaudio.com forward slash Whitcomb and facebook.com forward slash Whitcomb Ministries, where we're preparing our hearts for Thanksgiving with a simple campaign we call Give Thanks. Please visit us regularly to read about some of the things we're thankful for and be sure to add your own thoughts and testimonies as well. Again, that's at facebook.com forward slash Whitcomb Ministries. Next time, we'll jump ahead to the end of the book and see how God's revelation to Job prepared him to respond to God in the manner he deserves. We pray that message will enrich your Thanksgiving season. Until then, thanks for joining us on Encounter God's Truth, where we learn each and every week, A God's Word is true from the beginning to the end.